That's kind of a funny video I show that every week, and it's like a throwaway video. Kind of you go, okay, seriously, we've seen it like five times. It's a minute and a half long. What's the deal? But I love the questions in there. No matter where you are in your journey, what's next for you? Our, our front of our engagement sheet says something kind of crazy. They say, um, the best is yet to come. And I wonder in our lives, we really believe that that's true. You know, when we face times that we don't understand, we face difficulty, we, do we believe fundamentally that the gospel says that the best is yet to come? That we can't get hung up looking at what's behind us because the best things are in front of us still. And it cannot feel that way all the time. And uh, we've been w- walking through the book of Joshua together and talking about that concept for the Israelites, but also for us in our lives. You know, I, I hope that you find the biblical immediately, the, the Bible <laughs> immediately applicable, I was going to say that word, um, to your life. Like somehow it's not about learning history of Joshua, all that's kind of cool. It's about understanding what it means for us, what, what this word has to say to us today. And I, I don't know about you, but it's been very encouraging to me to understand Joshua's humanity and yet God's plan for him uh, to give him a hope in a future, a prosperous land um, to call his home. And, and it's with that kind of um, regard that I, I get excited about uh, believing that the best is yet to come. Um, so to, today I wanted to add, we're going to talk about Joshua 2, chapter 2, and it's an interesting chapter because if you've ever read it, you know the story, probably, of chapter 2. But I, I don't know if you remember last year about this time, I found this kind of interesting little parallel of life. You know, you say, well, what's changed, really, in uh, three or 4,000 years? But last year about this time, our president, our president, the United States of America, was going to fly to Columbia. Do you remember this? I'm sure Lance might remember this. I mean, I don't know if that... Gets on your radar or not at work, but uh, he, he's going to fly down there um, for some big summit, some, I don't know what it was, gathering of nations, talk about the world's, you know, troubles or whatever they're going to do there, solve everything for us. And that was a joke, by the way, they're not going to solve everything for us. <laughs> okay, I hope you're with me. Okay, and so, um, but what happened was he sent an advance team. You see, when our president goes places, they have to get people down the ground ahead of time to get things set up. They had some, um, what do you call those guys? They're like diplomats. They were there early, and they're two weeks early, and they're getting things ready. But then they send in like the SWAT team, the super cool guys. The super cool guys get there early, and they show up, and they make sure they're like the perimeter secure cap, you know, like whatever they do with their headsets, and they make sure everything's ready to go, and it's the Secret Service, and it's the military, and it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe the DOD or something. I don't know who else is involved in it, but it's a whole bunch of really short acronyms of really big organizations that go there to make sure that things are safe. So that when Air Force One lands, everything is in order. It's called an advanced team, right? And so these guys fly and have to make sure that things are on the up and up. Now, the problem is, if you remember this story, that last year when this advanced team got there, they decided that they were probably ready for the president. So they had a little party. Do you remember this? Who remembers this story? They had a little party where they kind of rented a big place, got a bunch of liquor, and then hired a bunch of prostitutes. And, and this is just news, you watch it on CNN, one of the guys decided he didn't really want to pay the prostitute. And that was probably a bad decision. It was a bad decision, by the way, the whole thing's a bad decision, let me be clear. But, but this guy brought down, I mean, the whole, country, the whole world started going, what are we doing? Why would we send an advanced team that apparently is, is, is so unneeded that whenever they get there, they hang out with prostitutes? That people lost their jobs. People were pushed out of agencies. That means that you were the scapegoat, you know? You lose your job. It's your fault. And it's a mess. It's what we call a scandal, right? 
And I, I don't know if you're like me, man, but when you see your tax dollars being spent, now these guys, you know, who knows, but we're paying their salaries, and so in some way we're kind of transmitting through them. I don't know if there's a personal money, how these things were paid for, these rooms and stuff, but the bottom line is at some point you go, man, I don't want this stuff happening, right? That's a horrible thing. The United States is tarnished. This, this prostitute later came forward, and this is what she said. This is the United States of America. This is the president of their country. But was it? It was a few guys, a few people of his advance team. He may not even have direct control over them. But everyone, everyone gets this kind of blame placed at their feet. Because it was all of us, wasn't it? What a scandal. Well, I say that because it's a very close parallel to what we see next in God's story for his people. And I think that we hear this and we're so quick to go, oh, but there's this, but I want us to walk through the reality of Joshua's next step in his taking of the promised land. God said, you will inherit it, you will have it, and he sends an advanced team. Before we enter into the word, I want to pray, as we always do, for God's wisdom and insight. So please join me in prayer. Father, today we have come here to worship you, to acknowledge you as God above all gods. There's no God beside you. You're the only true God, and we worship you in that way. We pray, Father, that we be faithful witnesses, that we would not be bent to the ways of the world, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We could adequately proclaim the gospel when it seems so difficult in other cultures, and maybe here at home. Father, we pray that today we would know your good news more fully that we would know your plan for our lives. We could apply these principles from the book of Joshua and from his narrative, his story about what you did, and that you would have your way in our hearts and lives. And Lord, that's what we want today. Change us to be more like you. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance to open your word, for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit with us right now, and for your Son and our Savior, who would shed his blood on the cross, that we might know truth. We give you praise and glory. In his name, amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible, you can open to Joshua 2. If you did not bring a Bible, you can use one of ours. It's still on page 149. The good news is next week we'll be on one page 150. So you should be excited about that. We have moved forward one page. All right, here we go. I'm going to read the story to you, so check it out. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. By the way, check it out. Advanced team, prostitute, stayed there. Here we go, verse two. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out our land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out my whole land, this whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, these men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, listen now, when it was time to close the city gates, those men left. I don't know which way they went. Go quickly after them. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on her roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies and the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the city gate was shut behind them. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did in Shion and Og, the two kings and Amorites east of the Jordan, remember that, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you, because the Lord your God is God in heaven and God on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown this kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing here, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills and the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. So the men said to her, this oath you have made, a swear will not be binding on us unless when we come to enter your land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and your family into your house, because if anyone goes out into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible as for anyone who is not in the house with you, his blood will be on Oh, wait, wait, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. So if they're in the house, it's their fault. Check it out. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath that we have made us swear to you. And she said to them, agreed. Let it be as you say. So she went with them away and they departed. Or she sent them away and he, they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And after they had left, they went to the hills and they stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding anyone. Then the two men started back. They went down through the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything. Listen to that. They told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord surely has given this whole land into our hands. All the people are melting with fear because of us. You heard the story before, Yes. Like, this is one of those stories we even, we tell it in our blast ministry, right? In our children's ministries, we tell this story of Rahab. I find it surprising and a bit scandalous that we tell a story to our children because these are the kind of stories that we're not comfortable telling our children about real life. Probably the story I just told you a minute ago. You thought, oh man, I can't believe you're talking about these things in church. The reality is that the, go the gospel and the Bible provides all the truth of the way God works. And I want you to see four things from this story first. Four realities that I want to set in about what this really means for Joshua and the people of God. And it's about Rahab. So we can look at this. I don't know if you ever do this, but you can try to get into the, who, you know, the character. Like, who in the Bible do you understand? Do you, are you the spies being sent? Are you Joshua waiting for them to return? Or are you Rahab? You know what I mean? I'm not saying are you a prostitute, but I'm saying are you like that? Do you see the story that way? I want to walk through four realities for Rahab this morning. And the first is kind of obvious. It comes right away in verse one. It's this. Rahab is a prostitute. Now, I tell you what I did, because I'm a good pastor, I hope. I, I went and I dug around in the word search. And I was hoping it was going to be some, you know, this word could also mean woman or young girl or, you know what I mean? I was hoping, but let me tell you, you don't want to do a word study on this in the Old Testament because it means prostitute. That's exactly what it means. There's no mystery in it. They didn't mince words. It's what she did. 
That's the way she, I don't know, made a living or survived in Jericho. The reality is that, the, that and, and, you know, we can put, I looked in, there's these ministries now. They're called like um, um, Rahab's house that are these kind of men that proclaim this. But do we understand that that's a real thing, a real person? I don't know how you would feel if you met a prostitute today, you know? I don't know what that would look like. I have a tendency to believe that we would be judgmental. We would, we would, this person's far from God, you know? We maybe would have a sense of hopelessness. Person's doomed. We, we maybe would be very much like that person who's in the, in the front of the sanctuary saying, thank God I'm not like that sinner back there on the edges. We just heard the narrative, though. We just heard the story from the Word of God about how Joshua's people got the word about the land, and it came from Rahab herself. I want you to understand the reality. The reality is that Rahab was a prostitute. Just deal with that. I want you to deal with it. The second thing is this. Rahab chooses to lie to her countrymen. You know, we talked a minute ago with Jesse about that, right? But she made a conscious decision. It's in verses 3 through 5. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out those men you have. And verse 4, but the woman hid them and she said, yes, these men came. I didn't know where they came from. And at dusk, they left. I want to tell you that the whole thing was a lie. That when she received them, she knew who they were. Why would she protect them if she knew who they were? And she knew where they were. And this was her king. King of Jericho, says, where are these men? Be a good citizen and tell the truth. And she lies and she lies and she lies. Does that seem scandalous to you? It seems scandalous to me. The truth is, I almost, and I, I, I'm, I almost titled today's sermon, God Saves Lying Whores. Is that what just happens in the word of God? She lies. She's a prostitute. And yet, we know her name and her story is written as part of the people of God. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. Like, that makes me really uncomfortable. I think it's offensive to my humanity, to my sense of justice. The second thing is that she betrays her own country. She's a turncoat. She's a traitor. She takes a huge risk. The third thing she does, or the third thing I want you to realize about her, is she actually tells the truth to her country's enemies. Not only does she protect these guys, but she turns to these guys who are the enemies of her country, and she says, by the way, come on in. We're terrified. We don't know what to do with you, Israelites. We are doomed. I want to remind you that these people are the same people that whenever the Israelites had come the first time, they were, we were like, they said we were like grasshoppers to these men. They were so much bigger than us. And now you have this prostitute saying, we're terrified. Our hearts are melting in fear. She gives this word. 
I, I wonder what can be lower than someone that would betray their home country. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to walk that out for a minute. You imagine the United States of America and someone comes to me and they say, we're here and we're, we're spies and we're about to take over the United States of America. What would you think of me if I hid those people and then I said to them, we are terrified of you. We are doomed. And then made myself a, a bargain. Only spare me in my household. I can't imagine many of you would have much sympathy for me or much love. She's a betrayer of her own people. And then the fourth thing I want you to see, and it happens in, in verse 15, where it says, Rahab let him down because she lived in the city wall. She lived in the city wall. Now, that might sound kind of weird to you, but I want to understand this for a minute. And this is going to come into play in a few more weeks when we actually talk about how the Israelites take Jericho. But the reality is this, that the city was built like on a hill. It rose up, they said, to the heavens, Jericho did. And so whenever you wanted to assault Jericho, it's like you were trying to take the heavens themselves. It's not like it was a level playing field you could see. There was no kind of strategic maps from the top that you could see a satellite image. You walked up to the foot of this thing, and you looked up at it, and you thought, there is no way. This city is untakeable. The way they did that is they had, they had built this in such a way that at the bottom they had these stone walls that were about 15 feet high. 15 feet, right? I don't know how high the ceiling is, but it's, it's a stone wall. At the top of that, they would build these kind of mud walls, these brick-like you know, things that would be the upper wall. And then there was a span of space, and there was a second upper wall. So you had two tiers of walls you had to come over. I think the second tier was like 22 feet on top of the 15 feet, so it was at 37 feet. I mean, it just goes up and up and up. It's, it's unbelievable. I don't tell you that just to understand the reality that they were facing in taking the city. But I want you to think about the way the city is designed. You see, here's Jericho proper where all the good folks live. Here's this ring of like, you know, if the enemy gets through the first barrier, we'll try to stop him there. Here's the outer wall. And here's where Rahab lives. It literally means that her house was built into that 22-foot wall. The second wall I was telling you about this on top of the brick wall. It means that from her vantage point, she had a beautiful view, <laughs> Right? of all the enemies that were coming to kill them. She's unique because she sits here. I wonder if you live on the outskirts of town and the enemies come, what is your culture saying about you? What did it mean to her that the first people to die would not be the soldiers inside the second wall, but those who are disposable? prostitutes, people of no reputation, people with no wealth. It was a seedy part of town. <laughs> I say all that because I want you to see life from her eyes. While inside the city, they're trying to make a plan. She sees out here these people that are coming, and she knows she begins to get this bigger picture of what her life is about, of her position that she's been given. Today, I want to talk to you about two lies and one truth that I think that we need to understand from Rahab's life and the way that she did it. 
And the first, and I love this because she is bold, Rahab is, bold woman, because she believes, does not believe this, that God will not save me because of who I am. She believes the opposite. Not that he'll save her because of who she is, but he can save her. This is something that, that she believes. Look with me, if you will, in verse 9. She said to them, this is to the spies that were sent to check it out, you know. And they kind of go to the outskirts of town. They don't walk up and talk to the king. When you're not an emissary, you're there as a spy. They go to the seedy part of town. But when she hides them and saves their life, she says this to them. I love and I'm amazed by this. She says, I know that the Lord Yahweh has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us because of you. Our hearts are melting in fear. She knows something of God. And she knows something of, of God's power. And I think that if you, were not, you or I were to look at her, we would say, oh, you are doomed. You are the worst of the worst. And yet the reality is she doesn't believe this lie that God will not save me because of who I am. She believes that if she honors God, God will deliver her even in the wall. I don't know if you have those things in your life where you feel, you know, at risk, where you see the enemy coming and there's no more defense between you and them. And I wonder, do you believe that? That, that God will save me? That he has the power to do that no matter who I am? She did not understand her position to be something that would, that would have an effect. She basically takes great risk. Matter of fact, I love what she says. She says, show me a kindness like I showed you. That sounds like the way Jesus said to pray. Forgive me like I forgive other people. That's what the prayer says, isn't it? She says, only be kind to me like I was kind to you. She took huge risk because she believed God is who he said he is. I love her statue in life, you see, because on the wall, she can see both sides, maybe more clearly than anyone can see them. She sees this reality that God is coming, and she sees inside these people who are perishing, and she has to make a choice. My question today is, in your life, what are the choices that you're facing? Like, we're all facing choices all the time, but what where, what is a clear choice that you're being offered in your life? The second thing that I want to share with you from your life, that's a lie, by the way. That's not the truth. The truth is that God will save you regardless of who you are. He will do that if you believe. The second thing is this, that God cannot use me because of where I've been, you know? I think it's amazing, astonishing, and scandalous that God uses her to deliver this land into his people's hands. I want to walk through real quickly. In verse 1, she took these men in. Now you can say, well, she's a prostitute. That wouldn't be hard. But, you know, she took them in, knew who they were. She knew enough to defend them when they came. In verse 4, she hid these men to save their lives. In verse 8, she testified and gave them information. She told them the truth about her own country and gave information to them. She testified to God's power to the people who were following God. 
That's mind-boggling to me. In verse 15, she helped them escape. In verse 16, she gave them advice about how after they escaped, they could stay away. They could, they could not get caught. She has a vested interest. And then in verse 21, she fully trusted these men. She fully trusted them to keep their word. Right? Only by your Lord swear to me that when you come back, we will be spared. She puts herself in their hands. I have to ask, why would she do all this? Why would she do it? We already read one verse. It was in verse 9. She says this, because I know that the Lord has given you this land. You see, you can judge all you want about Rahab and her life. You can make any assumption about her being a bad person, a bad citizen, or anything else you want. But the reality is there's one person that rightly judges people's hearts, and it's the Lord. And for Rahab, when she saw that God was over here and God was not over here, she chose God. She had a clear choice to make, and she made this decision. I will stand with the Lord. I'm not sure that we have that kind of boldness in our own life. The reality is that she believed God could do what he could do. She believed that God was who he said he was, and she wanted to be part of what God was doing and not part. That'd be an easy thing to do, to just go the cultural route. Verses 12 and 13, I want you to hear it again. It says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. She's, save us from death. The word means deliver our souls. Promise me you will deliver our souls when you attack. The next thing they say is our lives for your life. They mean, may our souls be under yours. If someone has to die first, Rahab, we will die first for you. That's the promise they make her. And as you know, they tie this scarlet cord in, out her window. They, they go down, and then they leave it there as a sign. She, they say, make sure that's up when we come, that we know where you are so that you might be spared. So not only do we understand, like, where is God showing us a clear choice in our life? But I think this is the next question. Which choice, if we were to make it, would most honor God? I talked to you last week about a hard thing, which is submission. And we don't like to because we're human. But the reality is that that's a choice that most honors God. Here in this situation, she makes a choice that she believes, she believes will save her, but it most honors God. It's kind of a silly thing if you think about it but she can choose to stand with God or stand against him. Many people choose to stand against God. Many people. Many people choose to say, my way. It's my way. The truth is that God can use us no matter where we have been. And if you've not read enough of the Bible to understand that he uses scandalous people all the time, you should read more. It's all throughout the book. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded so much about, we talk about this all the time, about how it doesn't matter, and yet I want to talk that the church is so judgmental toward people who are far from God, it's nauseating. 
how we all, and me too, look down our noses at people who we think are less, who are unworthy, who are unsavable. It's offense, not my spirit humanly, but the spirit of God in me. Because the truth is that Jesus, when he came, he went and sat down with prostitutes, and sinners, and tax collectors. He sat with those who were on the fringes of the city. He touched people who were unclean. He came for the least and the lost. Thank God he came for me. Which choice, if you make it, most honors God in your life? He can use you no matter where you've been. One of the most egregious lies I hear from people is they say, but you don't know my past. God can't use my past. I can tell you that repeatedly in my life, when people have finally gotten the courage, the boldness of spirit to tell the truth about their own story, God begins to use them in powerful ways to bring healing and hope to those who believe they're too far from God to be saved. Thank God for Rahab. The truth I want you to know today is that God will save you when you believe he can do it. Rahab, from the moment she saw Israel, she started to understand that this God is coming, that I am standing on his ground, and I can either get rolled over or stand out of the way. And she chooses to stand out of the way and be part of his team. She believes that God will deliver her in spite of her position, in spite of her decisions, in spite of her past, in spite of her sin, in spite of her lostness, in spite of her not being part of the people of God. She believes that somehow by his grace, by the grace of these men who she had saved, that somehow she would be redeemed. Rahab, the lying prostitute, believes that God can save her. The same is true for you and me. I want you to jump ahead to verse um, chapter 6, I think it is, verse 24 and 25. We're going to get there in a couple weeks, but check this out. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of Yahweh's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged, listen to the word, to her. Because she hid the men Joshua had sent in spies into Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Rahab believed the Lord could do it. And he did it. Not only was it salvation for her, but it was salvation for her family on, on her namesake because of her behavior. That is shocking to me. What's even more amazing is you go, okay, this is a First Testament, Old Testament story, great. But man, she gets mentioned in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the story of the most famous, faithful people God has ever brought to this earth. And at the very end of all these great men and women of God, here at the very last one to be mentioned by name is Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, because she welcomed spies, was not killed with the disobedience. Like, that's the coolest thing ever. 
I don't know if it's you today. I don't know if you're believing the lie that God doesn't love you, that he won't save you, that he won't deliver you. I don't know if you believe that that thing from your past you're afraid of people find out you will never be able to be in a church again, but that is a lie. Because the church is full of people with horrible, sinful histories who've been redeemed by the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. She was saved by her faith. Praise God. You know, the next thing the word says is it says that you and I, as followers of Jesus, will be joined together with Rahab the prostitute and all the saints in all time, the celebration, the culmination of Christ's kingdom. That we'll be with her. If you were offended earlier, whenever I talked about her behavior, her choices, her life story, you might not want to be part of the kingdom of God because she will be there with all the fully redeemed. And maybe the second part, Maybe it's not you and your own story, but maybe you're one of those Christians like me who walk around looking down your nose at people and believing that they are beyond God's purposes. They would have walked in, those spies, looked at Rahab and said, why would I listen to you? You're worthless. That's the sin of the church. It's offensive to God. And if that's you today and you have that heart, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of repentance that he would change you, change me to see his people the way he does. I don't know what you're clinging to when the enemy comes. I don't know what hope that you have that you will be spared when you're under attack. But for me and my house, we're clinging to the cross of Christ. That's where we hang our hat. That's where all my hope is stored. And like the Israelites have passed in the Passover, like Rahab with the string in her window, that will be a sign when our Lord comes that this one is mine. This one's faithful. This one kept his word and honored me. I hope that's your story too. Please join me in prayer. Father, today if we come to see your word and the truth of the way you, you, you move amongst your people, which is so offensive, honestly, Lord. It's so offensive. But you know, I'm convicted, Father, that what's more offensive to you is our self-righteousness. Our belief that we're better, we're not as bad, we've done less wrong, we're not like those people. Forgive us for the way we've offended you by negating the things that you call worthy, by ignoring the people that you sent your son to save. Help us to have new hearts. Lord, if, it's, if there's someone here today and this story for them was way too close to home, they go, man, I've done some things in my past. That you, Lord, if you, 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 don't, you don't know me that they would know that you do, that they would know that you made them, that they would know in their hearts, Father, by your Spirit's presence right now, that you would softly speak to them, that you love them, that you're with them, and that you'll never leave them or forsake them.
Lord, I thank you for my story of a sinner redeemed, of someone who was standing at that city gate and mocking your name. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for redeeming us who believed in the promise of Christ. I pray that we could change, that we could be broken and really turn toward the things that you have for us. Lord, bring healing to our past, hope to our future, a plan for what you're doing among us and a clear way forward. We give you thanks and praise for the day of deliverance, which is surely here, which is surely ours. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.